with Mr. Dave Drentry, and we are talking about Dirty Communist Hippies of Portland, Maine, on Saturday, April 29th, 2023, at 2.04 p.m. Eastern Time. Mr. Gentry, as you were just saying before I rudely interrupted you. Well, I wouldn't call them dirty. I would just say they're communist hippies. I don't think there's any reason to call them dirty. But um, I was just reading today on the Whitney uh, versus California Supreme Court case in 1927. And someone had started, a group had started the Communist Labor Party, and their stated goal was the overthrow of the U.S. government with violence. Mm -hmm. And so that went to the Supreme Court. Now, they didn't argue that they had First Amendment protection. Um, but what happened in that case, they ruled that under a criminal law that, yes, you started a group to overthrow the government of the U.S. They were convicted of that crime. But in that, because there was a First Amendment element, Justice Brandeis gave what's probably the greatest defense of freedom of speech and liberty of any Supreme Court justice. One of the things he said is that inert people are the greatest menace to liberty. Inert people. Inert. People who do nothing. But he made very clearly the point that freedom of speech has to be protected. It's the grounds for our innovation, our prosperity, our happiness, and, and our courage. He said freedom gives us happiness and courage. And so it's the heart of who we were and hopefully still are as an American people. Um, but the point was, in his argument, defense of freedom of speech, he used the word, um, he basically said, if speech presents a clear and present danger that would keep the discussion from happening, then that, that is not protected by the First Amendment. Why? Because you need open and free discussion to arrive at political truth. Mm -hmm. Now, notice this is 1927. He, he used the word political truth. Okay? People educated in our universities today and running our corporations don't have that Western tradition historical view of truth, that there's a right, there are wrongs, uh, and though there are antinomies in life. Um, we believe that you can arrive at truth that promotes the common good and that promotes virtue. That's what our country was about. So anyway, that's how I, uh, you know, some things I was thinking about today. No, I like that. Inert people. That it's one of those things that as you get older and you realize your elders were correct and the little shithead in you still doesn't want to admit it, but it's, uh, what is it? Um, what, uh, what, what's the saying? Uh, uh, idle hands do the devil's work. It really is. Yeah. I, it's one of those things yeah. I never wanted to admit, you know, after I got into medical school and decided not to go and you know, my, I lost my older brother, I kind of did nothing for like two years and I just nosedived. I did more self-destruction in two years than I had in 25 years. And how old were you? I, now I'm 32. How old were you when you had the two years of self-destruction? I was 23 when I lost my brother to suicide, so 23 to 25. And how did you pull out of it? Uh, well, I eventually, I got so low, I realized that I was, I was, I was hurtling towards suicide. So I called my parents and said, I need to move home. And I just started going to therapy, started going to the gym, taught myself graphic design for four years, and then one day dropped it and started this podcast and haven't looked back. 
So what was your foundation? What caused you to... The, fa- um, the foundation for stopping was... Back up. The, well, the foundation for stopping was is suicide was never an option because I had witnessed firsthand what it did to a family. And so I couldn't even plead ignorance. I knew what I knew what it did and I knew what another would do. And so it was, I'm not willing to put my family through that. So therefore I have to stay alive. And I'm only 20, when I had this realization, I was about 25, almost 26. And I was like, well, statistically, I got a lot of life ahead of me. So I can go through this miserable. You got a lot of summers left. Yeah. Yeah. So I got busy and you don't want to admit it. You don't want to say you were right, mom and dad, but staying busy, doing podcasts, listening to audiobooks, answering emails, phone calls, you know, trying to build this business. It is the best thing that's ever happened to my mental health. It is the best thing that's ever happened to me physically. The amount of sleep I get, the, you know, just watching my diet, the amount of books. I've read more books since starting this podcast than I did in the previous 30 years. Idle that's hands, great. Idle hands do the devil's work. And, you know, I think that is a, a microcosm of the biggest threat to democracy are inert people. You don't have, I think struggle really is necessary, man. I, I really, not struggle in that you can't find clean water or you live in a war-torn hellhole. That sucks. But I think daily, a Sisyphusian, like, pushing a boulder up a hill, I think it's good for the for, for the average person. Well, look, that's all about the Puritan work ethic, mm-hmm. right? That's America was founded on the pure Puritan work ethic. And um, it's what built America and made America America great. Now, of course, on the radical left, in the woke, you know, they want reparations. And, of course, you've got, what, a city in California that's going to pay out uh, every African-American. I don't know. Five million. And... Um, <laughs> Only that's the most irrational thing and a terrible trend, um, uh, because we've 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 provided so much expertise and capital from our instant government institutions to private enterprise in helping uh, ameliorate the issues caused by slavery. I mean, billions of dollars have been poured into the inner cities, have been poured into educational institutions, laws, practices that that really have tried to help those who are descendants of slaves you know with the with a leg up and uh but this is you know paying them for something we had nothing to do with you and me people living today and we shouldn't have to pay that price well technically i did have something to do with it because the uh, uh 150 years ago kerrigan's actually did fight and uh for the uh, for the union army so i would like five million Oh, okay. I yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, across the board, I think we should apply well, it evenly. Uh, we probably lost some, 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 some of our, uh, we probably had some relatives go way back. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. Whether but, it's, whether they actually died or it's mental trauma, I, I don't care. I'm with them. I, you know, I'd stand, I stand for justice. So I'd like my 5 million and, uh, yeah. And then maybe we can start to discuss the, uh, comedic insanity of it all that a white guy in 2023 should get 5 million and that maybe that will then trickle out to everyone realizing how fucking retarded it is. But the belief that if you're white, you're innately racist, you know, Mm -hmm. today, Melbourne, Florida, and taking a walk on main street, you know, there's a musician playing 
having a great time playing blues. There's people talking to him in between. There's another man. He's selling paintings on the sidewalk there. And everyone's interacting and no one's thinking about mm -hmm. the color of the other person's skin. That's the way real America works. There are the extreme, you know, the KKK, the white nationalist. That's extreme. Most Americans are not thinking about color. And most Americans, you know, there is no innate racism. It just doesn't exist in the real world with the exception of these fringe groups. And that's and that's what they are, our, our fringe groups. And as easy as like a, as like a hot, hot topic, hot button issue it is, and it gets everybody hot under the collar, the reality is, is I think we all know deep down that probably I'd say over 99% of people truly don't give a shit about race. I'd say over that. And the more, you know, the first step is acknowledging that these are fringe groups, right? The loudest people get heard the most. They're amplified by social media where you don't have to physically see who you're talking to, right? So like right now, if I looked at the live stream, I might say 20 people are watching. Maybe that's 20 human beings. That might be 19 bots. I have no idea. Or it might say that there's uh, 20 people watching and there's actually 200 people, but it's being censored. Social media amplifies it and there's really no way to find out who there is. So the, the point of that is, is once you can identify that these are fringe groups being amplified, it's you're getting closer and closer, right? It's like the kids starting to realize Santa's not real, right? Keep keep walking that out. Well, then why is it being amplified? Who's doing that? Well, who would benefit from us arguing? Probably people who are higher up and don't want us addressing more systemic issues like a strategic oil reserve or demographics or natural resources or the perpetual war machine. Those are all things that keep us from discussing those things is a pink haired lady screaming at a guy in a KKK mask. And I think as long as people start kind of, it's the mouse going to the cheese, like keep walking, keep walking. You're almost there. It's not just that they're fringe groups who is behind the French groups are they're They're going to scream and yell on their own. That's, that's a given, but why is it amplified so greatly? Why do these massive six news corporations well, have a stake that, in it? That controls our media and in many branches of our government. And so, um, they amplify it. Okay. And, uh, these are elitists running these, uh, news organizations that, you know, live in, in virtual castles surrounded mm -hmm. by walls. You know, and um, and so uh, they 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 don't interact. They they've never been part of anything that they're they're trying to protect or they describe. So, um, you know, we move on. But again, back to Whitney versus California and Brandeis idea that he said there is something called political truth. That's an incredibly important point. It's an important point for a couple of reasons, but one of the ones that's kind of curious is that not scientific proof or truth, excuse me, where we can measure something and reproduce it. But the very reason I loved organic chemistry but hated literature was organic chemistry, there was a right and a wrong answer. Calculus, as much as I sucked at it, there was a right or a wrong answer. You get into literature and you're like, I think Shakespeare meant this, and your professor's like, no. And it's like, well, how, how do you know? He's dead. That's kind of fascinating, political truth, because 
well, whose truth? Right? It's not a. It's not. No, a, that's the. No, no, no. They whose truth did not enter the equation. Okay. Objective truth. Gotcha. That which contributes most to the good of man and the good of civilization and the good of society. Okay. And he's objective. That's not whose truth, but what's required to get to that objective truth is free and open discussion. Okay. I got... all, which is leading leads to our freedom and, and our continued freedom and our progress, and our prosperity and everything else. So it's not whose truth. It's what they would he because at, at that time, you know, he was as was a classically educated judge in the West and in, in the US, even though we were, you know, even though existentialism in the twenties was starting to get a grip uh, in the US culture. And um the he still believed there was objective truth. And existentialism, of course, there is no objective truth. You do what you feel is best. And as long as you choose it, uh, then that's good. That's your truth. But we're talking about the truth. Existentialist truth is that's okay for the individual. You got to find what makes you happy, right? That's 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 different. But yeah, no political truth. truth. That's a that's that's kind of a curious idea to actually talk about because it's more of a instead of a settled thing, what is the height of a, the average poodle where we could come to a, an objective empirical truth. I like the idea of political truth because what that implies is that you'll never actually reach it, but you have to be free to attempt to reach it. So like the all-time scoring record in the NBA or something, right? Once it's achieved, that's no longer the marker. You have to surpass no, that's it. Great, that's a great point. You know, no one said that we would be perfect, but we strive for perfection. And yeah, it's an ongoing yeah. battle. Who is... In, in, Yes, that's a great point. Who who's the greatest of all time quarterback? Well, I'm from New England and I'm biased, but you would say Tom Brady has great. seven rings, right? Just but what's fascinating yeah. is but that's no longer the goat. To be the goat now you need eight. And so you'll never actually reach it, but it's always there to be reached. And that's right. That's freedom that's, capacity to reach it. You have to have these basic freedoms. Yeah. So, um, and you have to, you know, including, for example, private property, which mm -hmm. is at the heart of right? The ability to make a profit and loss. But if everything's relative, as again, those in the woke movement believe, um, then your truth is not their truth because there is no truth. Therefore, you know, you're going to, you're going to pay us reparations. Therefore, um, we're going to shout you down if you are presenting a different worldview than us, because the only truth is our truth. And this is our truth, and we're going to enforce it through intimidation and coercion, which is what the world's left has been doing for, you know, the last uh, you know, 35 years on college campuses or more. Um, anyway, getting back to what you said. Um, Dirty hippies. Literature. You know, it's like literature. You're saying, is there any great truths that you can find in literature? How do you inter how do you interpret it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, you know, you said science, chemistry, much easier for you to. So, in 1990, I was in a graduate class um, in the English department, 
called reader response criticism. And in this view of literary theory, there is no truth in literature. It's only the untruth that you, that you impose upon it. And therefore, that's where you derive your meaning. Uh, so uh, Jeffrey Hart at Dartmouth at the time said, basically, that's that's like saying that uh, cartoon on the back of the cereal box uh, could be about the French Revolution, if that's the way you impose your truth on it, mm-hmm. or if that was a upon it. And I stood up and I said, well, do you believe, believe in objective truth? I said, you know, this this happened to be uh, the celebration of the Gettysburg's Gettysburg's address. I think it was the what was that? Maybe 120, 30 year anniversary, whatever it was. And that at the time was in the news. And I said, do you believe that he did that the Gettysburg address Lincoln's speech had no inherent meaning? When he called to keep this this country together, and, and he, 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 yeah, of course it had inherent meaning. So anyway, that's why I got into defending free speech rights on college campuses back in you know back in 1990 uh, because of that class. Uh, he gave me a C in the class, and um, it wasn't because of the pro- my work product; it was because because of my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so I wrote an op-ed piece for the Gainesville Sun. They ran it. And then we began to call students at other universities. We formed a group called the First Amendment Coalition of Student Leaders at University of Florida. And uh, and we began to bring in our own speakers and we began to protest uh, these censorship um, um, issues. Um, so, again, you know, if we want to go right back to, you know, to to literature. There are great truths that we can draw from literature, objective truth. But even there's the importance of the idea of the freedom of speech is we can maybe never agree on what Plato meant by X, Y, or Z. But I think we all agree that no one can stand up and say, this is what he meant. Now, everybody shut up. It's no, that's the great debate is, you know, we'll be debating Plato and Aristotle and Socrates to the end of time. There'll be campuses on Mars talking about these guys. The whole idea, look, the Platonic dialogues. They were dialogues, right? Yes. They were. They were <laughs> talking. It was a dialogue, and that's what we're missing on our university campuses. It's open and free discussion of of complex social, political, and moral issues. And if we don't get to that, it, and it is kind of fascinating, right? Because we see the idea that there is no objective truth. We're seeing that creep in from just kind of the crazy hyper left wing fringes and it's starting to get its its claws into reality the physical reality there what is a woman what is a man now you and i both know what it is because we're not brain dead but it's reaching in here saying well i mean 20 years ago if you're a man you put a thong on what and dance a bunch of in front of a bunch of kids you'd rightfully be shot now you get a standing ovation because you're stunning and brave. So we're seeing the erosion of of objective truth, not just in terms of ideas where I could sit here and talk and be like, there are no such thing as turtles. And, you know, we could have a highfalutin conversation, whatever. It's now getting into science where you have doctors saying, well, there is no such thing as a man and a woman. It's creeping in. And the end goal isn't no truth. The end goal is with all communist things. 
is you break down the existing structure to the point of chaos to where then they beg for structure and you usher in hell on earth via the boot, via the via the train car, via the gates of Auschwitz. That's what we're going to. So we're we're currently in the stage of we're dissolving all truth. But that's not the end state. The end state isn't this weird fog. Well, it's it is yeah, they will then bring in their truth. Yes. So we have to fight against that at mm-hmm. all costs. Now, you got to remember, you're something that's greatly um, to to the advantage of those who really support First Amendment rights. The Supreme Court um, and it had some recent rulings in the last term that it supported things like um, the coach is allowed to pray on the football field. Mm-hmm. That's not established religion. He's praying privately in, in the public's there. He has that right. Supreme Court ruled in his favor. So that's wonderful. Uh, so there have been, you know, there have been some 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 recent rulings that show that this this court is very, uh, very First Amendment friendly and um, and doesn't and understands that. You know, we were founded on Judeo Christian ethics with belief in, as we keep saying, that there are objective truths. So that's just one example, but there were three or four other examples where they ruled in the favor of... Uh, I know what you're talking uh, about. There were several big cases towards the end of last year, weren't there? Yeah. So, you know, that's a real... You know, Trump did a great thing there for those who really believe in freedom and liberty. And in the in the final couple of minutes I have you, because I know i got to let you run, is there's also the entire, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. We can't just bitch and complain about how no one does free speech. On this podcast, I often have people on that I don't agree with. And I won't even have them on and say, you're the token person I don't agree with. I'll just have someone on and try to have the most civil discussion I can. And people that know me and know my leanings, they might text me and go, why'd you have that guy on? Like, I know you. And it's because I genuinely believe in trying to show all sides of something. And there's no greater feeling than having my own mind changed. I, I like the humility. I like the I like the getting schooled. I like the you're playing one on one basketball and you get your ankles broken. I like that. That's weird. It's most people don't like it. I like the humility because it shows there's more to do and more to learn. And you get a bunch of hate emails and why the fuck did you talk to this person and that person? But my logic is is if I can't do that on my own little podcast and if I can't take mean comments well then how can i expect anyone else to to carry that torch and to stand up for free speech so you know if you can't if you can't recycle you then you can't you can't complain that you know china's burning coal or some shit right if you can't take two seconds to separate the cans from the trash then you really can't point a finger well you know that's another great point it kind of leads us right back where we started with whitney versus california because brandeis said you know the best cure for bad speech is more speech speech not you know uh mandated silence that's always the case so i'm 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 reading um legacy of ashes by tim weiner a history of the cia and uh yeah yeah and uh they're going over the cuban missile crisis and you know i've read a million things about the cuban missile crisis but I, i never knew this and it's um 
Kennedy had election coming up in, you know, a couple months or re-election or whatever, midterms, whatever it was. So this was 62. And uh, a U-2 overflight saw some SAM sites. And so the, the CIA analyst runs into the Oval Office and he goes, I got a SAM site. I got a SAM site. And Kennedy goes, put it in a box and nail it shut. I can't have domestic uh, turmoil over could there be anything over Cuba. And he goes, not only put it in a box and nail it shut, like pause you two overflights. I don't want to see Cuba, which is a form of censorship. I don't want to see it. Shut it down. That is the exact window that Russia started bringing in nuclear missiles just by chance. So <laughs> censorship and shutting down ideas is not just a something that's not good for social media. It quite literally resulted in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Had we seen them coming, we would have embargoed it right there. That almost led to World War III. So this isn't some luxury of a first world to be able to speak your mind. Any form of shutting something down because you don't like it, it, it can result in, it can have echoes and ripples through the highest levels of human power. I mean, the Oval Office, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy v. Khrushchev. If that is not a beautiful example of more speech, not less speech, more more YouTube photos, not less YouTube photos, then I don't know what is. That's my two cents. Um, Mr. Gentry, well, I said, that's a great point. I said I'd let you go at 2.30, and I'm a man of my word. Uh, <laughs> I like you so much, I'll give you a poem to read. All right? The okay. Love Song of Alfred Proof Rock by uh, T.S.L. Let me write it down. Hold on. Say it again. The Love Song of J. Alfred Proofrock. The Love Song of J. Alfred Proofrock? Yes. T.S. Eliot. Proofrock. Written in the, uh, the, the 20s, 30s, and, and he's really, in that poem, Noted. commenting malaise of, of American culture and... Um, um, and all those things in our culture that cause conformity and ultimately unhappiness. So it's a great poem. Hell yeah. Well, guys, please go follow Mr. Gentry. In the description is his Twitter, his or not, web, uh, not Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, website. And uh, I'd love to... The Gentry, yeah, the com comes out every Thursday. Those links are in the description. And uh, I appreciate... Subscribe? Excuse me? You subscribed yet to the Gentry Report? No, but I feel like I should. I'm you be, should. I'm being put on the spot. I'm being embarrassed. I'm I'm being attacked on my own podcast, but I res- I respect it. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to get you on here for like an hour podcast sometime, man. Thirty minutes is thirty minutes is great, but yeah, you can really get the idea start to start to get the higher order blossoming of ideas around forty five minutes to an hour. So I'd love to steal you for an hour sometime if I can. All right, my friend. Great to see you again, Tommy. You too, man. Enjoy that. Enjoy that cigar. Enjoy the yacht, which I, I think is where you are. I don't know. You were on the yacht last time. I can't tell. But uh, yeah. hell yeah. Well, up with you. All right. Great to see you, Tommy. You too, man. Thanks for coming on here. It's a pleasure talking with you. You're a brilliant guy. I, I the, the greatest compliment I can give anyone is inviting them back on the show. I'm my own boss. There's no focus group. There's no board of directors. It's a, it's a dictatorship. So if I have you back on, it's because I like talking to you. You're a cool dude, Mr. Gentry. Thank you so much, guys. In the description, please go follow him. Visit his website. I will text you, and uh, I'm going to steal you for an hour sometime. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Peace. Recording. St-